Shirley, Shirley, Bo Burley, Bo Nana, Fanna, Bo Furley, Fee, Fine, Mo Merley, Shirley, Lincoln, 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 Bo Bingen, Bo Nana, Fanna, Bo Finken, Fee, Fine, Mo Minken, Lincoln. Come on, everybody. I say, now let's play a game. I bet you I could make a rhyme out of anybody's name. The first letter of the name, I treated like it wasn't there. But a B or an F or an M will appear. And then I say Bo, add a B, then I say the name, then banana, fan, or and foe. And then I say the name again with an F, third name, then a feet, fi, and a mo. And then I say the name again with an M this time And there isn't any name that I can't rhyme Arnold, 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 Bobano, Bonana, Fanna, Bofano, Fifi, Momano, Arnold But if the first two letters are ever the same I drop them both then say the name like Bob Bob drop the B's, Bo, Arb, or Fred Fred drop the F's, Bo, Red Many gay and bisexual men, dissatisfied with modern religions that struggle to accept and condone us, are hearing the call of the old gods, those gods and religions of antiquity that embraced us and recognized our inherent spirituality. While modern religions debate our worth as lovers, as priests, as sexual beings, the old gods and the old religions embraced us as sacred. We were their shamans, their priests, the intermediaries between the gods and mankind. Many of the gods themselves were homosexual, bisexual, or transgendered. These gods were untamed, vibrant, and sexual. Accept their call and their healing embrace. These are the male mysteries, and I'm your host, Mel Mystery. Welcome back to episode 12 of the Discovering the Male Mysteries podcast. I'm your host, Mel Mystery. Today's show is all about names and the power names hold. These include the names we call ourselves individually, the names we take on as groups, and the names we call others. I'll start by talking about individual names. These include our given names, our magical or craft names, and our true names. Our given names are names that were given to us by our parents and include our first, middle, and last names. Different cultures have different conventions for naming, but in most cases there is an individual name and a family name which is a connection to our ancestors. Family names are usually passed down patrilineally on the father's side. A few cultures pass down names matrilineally, such as some Native American tribes like the Cherokee, Choctaw, Hopi, Iroquois, and Navajo. Certain cultures in parts of India, Africa, China, and some other parts of the world also use matrilineal naming systems. Some Scandinavian cultures, such as that of Iceland, don't pass down family names at all, but instead pass down a name that identifies one's father or sometimes one's mother. For example, Leif Erikson was literally Eric's son. If Leif had been female, her last name would have been Eric's daughter. In the past, family surnames might be derived from membership in a tribe or clan or by occupation. Bowman, Hunter, Taylor, Mason, and Gardner are a handful of names describing a family's occupation. 
In the past, children often trained in and carried on the family business. Up until the recent past, women in our culture have taken the family name of their husband upon marriage. It has become more common for both men and women, gay and straight, to take on hyphenated names in marriage. For example, if John Smith and Mary Jones got married, they may take on the hyphenated last name, Smith Dats Jones. If you are interested in the meaning of your personal name or family name, there are numerous websites that list name meanings. As long as your name is relatively common, you can probably even buy a mug with a personal name and meaning or a plaque with your family name, its history, and coat of arms. Generally, we didn't have any hand in choosing our personal or family names, but there are other types of names we might have more control over. In addition to our family names, we are sometimes given nicknames by family or friends, or we may have chosen nicknames for ourselves. Nicknames can be a variation on one's personal or family name. They may relate to some individual quality, or they may be something descriptive or even something ironic like calling a large man tiny or a tall man shorty. Magical and craft names are often taken by people involved in a magical order or who practice solitary magic. This can be a pseudonym for protecting one's privacy, a name chosen to express one's path or religious devotion, or it may be given upon initiation into a coven or magical order. Magical names also help protect one's given name, as knowing this can give others power over you. I've heard that it's best to be careful when taking on magical and craft names associated with deities, major mythological heroes, and even some mythological creatures. Doing so, while not wrong for everyone, may bring on both good and bad strong energies, responsibilities, and life circumstances that you aren't ready to handle. I first learned about true names several years ago while watching the movie Earthsea. The main character, Ged, is introduced to his true name by the wizard Ogeon. True names, also known as soul names, are names, sounds, or vibrations that our souls are known by throughout our cycles of reincarnation and between incarnations. This is a name or sound that resonates with us at our deepest levels and reflects our truest nature. Soul names are sometimes discovered through meditation, trance, working with higher guides, near-death experiences, and so on. These names are not always knowable or accessible to us within our lifetimes. True names have great power and are believed to contain information about our past, present, and future incarnations, and our true purpose in life, and our life lessons. Knowledge of someone's true name is supposed to give one ultimate, magical power over them. Here are just a few interesting facts about names. Among the Native Americans, the two spirits or gender-variant individuals of many tribes often gave children and adults lucky names and spiritual names. The radical fairies have a variation on this where they sometimes confer fairy names to people. I've been told by one of my friends who himself received the fairy name Flasher because he took lots of pictures that receiving a fairy name is quite an honor. Every living thing has a secret name in which his power resides. You are Sparrowhawk. And in this young man, there's much power. I interrupt this podcast to bring you a brief news segment. My grandmother's homeland of Iceland is set to erect its first temple to the Norse gods in over a thousand years since the age of the Vikings. Construction began in March 2015 in a popular woodland area overlooking Iceland's capital of Reykjavik. The temple will be half-buried and aligned with the sun's path. 
It will be built using the golden ratio and the numbers 9 and 432,000, which are sacred numbers to many pagan followers. The temple is expected to be completed by the summer of 2016. A few months ago, back in January 2015, Scotland hosted the first gay pagan wedding in the UK. Two hedge witches, Tom Lanting and Ian Robertson, who had been together for 12 years, tied the knot in the 16th century cellars of Marlin's Wind in Edinburgh's historic Old Town by Louise Park of the Pagan Federation of Scotland. In more personal news, I have registered to return to Kafnia, a spiritual retreat for gay and bisexual pagan men, to be held at Four Quarters Interfaith Sanctuary in Artemis, Pennsylvania, the week of August 5th through 9th, 2015. This year's theme is Chrysalis. While I won't be a featured speaker this year, I will be presenting a workshop on LGBT werewolves in mythology, folklore, and popular culture. For more information on Kafnia, go to www.kafnia.org. That's www.copnia.org. You can also just click on the link on the Mel Mystery website. This brings me to one final announcement for today. I'm very happy to provide brief plugs for LGBT pagan organizations and events on my podcast, as well as text links on my website. I am also now accepting paid audio ads within the podcast and paid graphic ads on the website itself. Please check out my website for rates. That's www.melmystery.matrixworks.com www.melmystery.matrixworks.com Of course, if I'm speaking or presenting at an event, and if I'm in the program, I offer audio and graphic ads for free. I now return you to your regularly scheduled podcast already in progress. call ourselves as groups and tribes and the way we identify ourselves also carry objective and subjective meanings, both to ourselves and to those outside our social groups. On a recent survey from a statewide LGBT rights organization, I had the opportunity to choose what terms I used to identify my sexuality. My options included straight, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, and other. Other terms that might have been included on the form that weren't include homosexual, two-spirit, androphile, genophile, fairy, bear, men who love men, women who love women, drag queen, transsexual, intersex, genderqueer, pansexual, or even the 19th century term Uranian. While we all fall to one degree or another under the larger umbrella term of LGBT people, how we identify our sexual orientation often reflects not only our sexual tastes and gender orientations, but also our views on culture and politics. In episode 7 of this podcast, I talked about people who were over the gay scene. These were homosexual men who identified themselves as gay, but who really didn't feel a connection to mainstream gay culture, which they felt was too superficial, immature, 
commercial or cliché, among other reasons. Gay culture tends to reflect white middle-class values. There would have been a time when I would have also said white middle-class male values, but since that time I've seen a lot more lesbian and feminist ideals incorporated into the overall movement. Even so, I still see the overall gay culture and movement as focused on mainstreaming gay culture and making LGBT folks acceptable to the larger society. A few years ago, I read a book called Androphilia by Jack Donovan. Donovan and others claiming the androphile label are masculine men interested in sex with other masculine men and who reject gay cultural and liberal political identities. While there were some things I liked about his book, there were other things that to me came across as internally homophobic. I'm sure Donovan and many androphiles would disagree. Androphiles seem to reflect blue-collar, conservative male ideals. Even so, it is interesting to note that Jack Donovan is, among other things, a priest in the Church of Satan. I won't say androphiles reflect exclusively white ideals. I think any culture or subculture where machismo is held in high esteem could easily attach to androphile ideals. On the other end of the spectrum are those who identify as queer. Queer is actually a formerly derogatory term that was reclaimed by gay rights groups in the 1980s, notably the group Queer Nation. Queer is an umbrella term for men, women, and those in between of varying non-heterosexual sexual identities. Queers tend to be widely inclusive, liberal, and sometimes even radical. I personally like the term Uranian. This term was used in the 19th century to denote homosexual men who were considered a third sex. Later, the term was extended to cover homosexual women. The term has its origins in the works of the German writer Karl Ulrichs and is derived from the Greek goddess Aphrodite Urania, who was created out of the god Uranus's testicles. The suffix Urania is often used in Greek mythology to denote homosexual love, the love of noble youth, and higher spiritual love. The term Uranian was adopted as a unifying term in the 19th century homosexual rights movements and was also taken among some writers of the time who dabbled in pederastic poetry, including the infamous Oscar Wilde, who once wrote, To have altered my life would have been to have admitted that Uranian love is ignoble. I hold it to be noble, more noble than other forms. There are a wide variety of other terms we can call ourselves that reflect our sexual orientations and gender identities, as well as our cultural, political, and spiritual alignments. These terms carry with them personal meanings and come with positive and negative connotations to ourselves and to those outside our groups. Within spiritual paths, how we identify ourselves also affects our identity, how people see us, and the assumptions they make about us. Are we pagan, Christopagan, Wiccan, witches, druid, shaman, or a follower of the Norse gods who might call themselves heathens, asatruers, or Odinists? Are we Hellenistic, Dianic, Discordian, Gardnerian, Alexandrian, Reconstructionalist, Ceremonial, or Eclectic? The path one chooses may reflect one's cultural or family heritage as well as what resonates with us, our interests, values, views on life, and beliefs about our place in the universe. Our paths are sometimes chosen as a rejection of other paths that didn't work for us. So what's the difference between Wiccans and witches? One website put it this way, All Wiccans are witches, but not all witches are Wiccans. All Wiccans are pagans, but not all pagans are Wiccans. Finally, some witches are pagans, but some are not, and some pagans practice witchcraft, while others choose not to. Now say that ten times fast. Another way of putting this is that Wicca is a path within the larger tradition of witchcraft. 
While it is one of the more popular modern paths in witchcraft, it is not the only one, and witchcraft itself is a tradition within the larger spiritual practices in modern paganism. What about the term warlock? Wicca and witchcraft tend to be female-oriented, but when I do meet male witches, they usually refer to themselves as witches. More often, I've met pagan men who follow another more male-dominated path or who simply call themselves by the generic pagan. I've heard some pagans condemn calling male witches warlocks, claiming that it means liar or oath-breaker, and a large number of Wiccans, witches, and pagans go out of their way to distance themselves from the term. There are others who dispute this meaning, claiming that early Christian monks in Scotland either inadvertently or deliberately misinterpreted the term for male witches and cunning men, giving it connotations of evil. Others claim that the term warlock may have its roots in the term vardlocker from Norse mythology, referring to songs sung to ward off evil spirits and the people who sung them. While I personally don't consider myself a witch, Wiccan, or warlock, I really hope male witches can reclaim the term warlock in much the same way that witches previously reclaimed the term witch from negative connotations in the way LGBT folks have reclaimed the term queer. You girls watch out for those weirdos. <laughs> we are the weirdos, mister. While I'm not planning to debate political correctness or hate speech in this episode, I do want to say that the names we call people carry power and can serve to either marginalize them as individuals or as groups, or can serve to build them up. I personally have never understood arguments against calling people and groups of people what they want to be called, and avoiding calling them something they find outdated or offensive. To me, it just seems the right and polite thing to do. If a group wants to be called Native American rather than Indian, or African American instead of Black, then what harm is there in that, especially if it more accurately describes them or corrects a long-standing stigma or misconception? If someone finds offense with the term pansy and wants to be called a chrysanthemum instead, what harm is it to call them what they want to be called? As LGBT folks, many of us understand firsthand what it is to be called names, like fag or the derogatory queer among others. While I'm confident that most of my listeners are enlightened enough not to call groups of people derogatory names, I wonder how many of us are prone to other types of name calling. It's been said more than once that the gay community, and here I use the term gay in its wider use as an umbrella term, it's been said more than once that the gay community is often hardest on our own. Whether it be a general bitchiness seen in certain segments of the community, or the terms we use for those who don't fit our social or sexual types, gay men especially can be cruel. The names we call others within our own community can sometimes come with a bite. Many are unrestrained in their name-calling and disdain for overweight people, older people, younger people, drag queens, bisexuals, those we consider too feminine or too masculine, and the like. As I said before, the names we call people can build them up or tear them down. The names we use can hurt people and damage their self-esteem. Hurtful names can perpetuate negative cycles that some people have lived with for significant portions of their lives. Sometimes the names we call people can even damage their reputations. One name that's become a pet peeve for me is calling others creepy. On the outset, this seems harmless and perhaps even self-protective in a way. After all, don't we want to protect ourselves and others from creeps? The problem is the way the term is applied and the negative connotations the term brings with it. There's no doubt that there are creeps in the world. These are people who don't have your best interests at heart. They may be rude, selfish, abusive, or even predatory. When we call someone creepy, we're more often than not 
talking about the subjective feeling they evoke in us, often before they've said or done anything to legitimately deserve being labeled a creep. In recent years, I've heard the term creepy being used more and more, and it's often used on those who are shy, socially awkward, or different rather than on legitimate creeps who are inappropriate, predatory, or aggressive. I think a major factor in whether someone is labeled creepy or not is their level of confidence. Someone who is introverted or socially awkward might be labeled creepy regardless of how respectable they are, whereas someone who really is a creep might avoid the label because of their confidence and because they own it. To quote a t-shirt I saw several years ago, I'm not shy, I'm just quietly stalking my prey. That's owning it. Attractive people are also less likely to be labeled creepy regardless of their actions. There are some groups of people who wear their creepiness as a badge of honor, including goths and others deliberate and proud of their differences from the mainstream. For many others, being labeled creepy can damage not only their self-esteem, but even their reputations. Creepy is often used as a code word to imply that there's something emotionally or sexually defective about someone that makes them undesirable socially or sexually. While it can be used against those who overstep their affectional and sexual boundaries with others, it is more often being used casually and flippantly to shame socially awkward, unattractive, or otherwise undesirable persons for even having the gall to approach someone outside of their perceived league. Creepy has also been used to describe those who are honest and direct about their sexuality rather than playing out all the subtle nuances of dating games. Some have equated using the term creepy for men as having a similar damaging effect to calling a sexual woman a whore. These terms punish men and women for being honest with themselves and others about their needs, for stepping outside mainstream puritanical values, or simply for lacking good looks, confidence, or social skills. As pagans, we know the power of words and the names we use, whether our individual names, group names, or the names we call others. We know the power of names and words in naming the properties of people and things, in working spells, in evoking and invoking deities and other spirits, in affirmations, in exercising the law of attraction, in creating our own unique version of reality, and in affecting the larger reality. I'd like to wrap this podcast up with a few lines from the lyrics of Wang Chung's Everybody Have Fun Tonight. So here goes. The words we use are strong. They make reality. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for listening to the Discovering the Male Mysteries podcast. I'm your host, Mel Mystery. You can find out more about the show, including links to my blog and store site at http 
colon backslash backslash m e l m y s t e r y dot m a t r i x w e r x dot com. That's http colon backslash backslash melmystery dot matrixworks dot com. If you would like to submit original poetry or music, suggest a topic, guest host a segment, or share information relevant to listeners, you can find more information on how to do so, including my email address on the Mail Mysteries website. Thanks for listening. What are you, darling? Where's your costume? This is my costume. I'm a homicidal maniac. They look just like everyone else. <laughs>